Hey folks, uh, welcome to another episode of the Roth Revenue Podcast. This is Gavin Roth and I am sitting today with somebody who, um, you know, you get those people you come across in your career um, that uh, are colleagues and and contacts, but then you seamlessly uh, transition into being friends. And I'm pleased to say uh, with Dana Gladstone that, uh, that I can call uh, Dana a friend. Um, we worked together at the Canadian Football League in the mid-2000s, and uh, I'll never forget this because I came in and we kind of, you know, we're on a, a, a similar plane reporting to an amazing guy, Brent Scrimshaw, but just the way Dana welcomed me with open arms uh, instead of feeling like, who's this, you know, new guy? And, and it just speaks to the type of nature and personality and, and uh, Dana's DNA. So, uh, and this, from that point, we've just, we've just maintained a, a great friendship. So um, Dana's been very generous in giving me her time and, you know, over her 30 year career. Okay, now I feel really old, thank good. you very much. I was waiting for an old <laughs> comment. Um, Dana has, what's interesting about you is you've, um, you've you've hit all the sides of the you've you've been uh, brand side with Molson and Canadian Tire, you've been agency side with McLaren um, and Lang and, and Lang that's mm-hmm. right and where where we share a commonality there yeah. uh, my relationship as well with Lang and um, and then uh, property side with the Canadian Football League and now where you are as uh, Vice President of Partnerships at uh, Hockey Canada. And 11 years in Molestar in motorsports and Mm -hmm. other properties there. So Indy and racing, all that, yeah. Yeah, so So I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate turning a hobby into a career. Yeah, we can't uh, always say that, right? No, no, I I know I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah, good for you. (laughs) So um, thanks for for sitting down. Um, Before we we jump in, you know, we're sitting in your, your your wonderful offices here. You share some space with um, with the Hall of Fame, which I didn't know. We're we're out uh, uh, near the lakeshore here, and I always think of the Hall of Fame as downtown Toronto. But you were telling me that um, the you you sublet space here, Hockey Canada does, and that the many of the archives are here. They are. The, we share space with the Hockey Hall of Fame, and there's as much uh, hockey memorabilia here under lock and key, uh, as there is downtown and open to the public. So sticks and jerseys and artwork and books and a, a million things you would not think of connected to hockey are, are all here. There are donations that come into the Hall hmm. of Fame here. Every week there's something interesting sitting in the lobby. There's yeah. a, a jersey, there's a banner from um, a championship from 1946. Oh, wow. You know, sitting in the lobby one day. So and didn't you say something about a Warhol? There, there is, there is an actual. Should we promote this? I don't this? know if I don't we, know should, we should even talk about this publicly, this. but let's just yeah, say yeah, there's yeah. some very valuable yeah. uh, hockey artwork and yeah. memorabilia yeah, that is um, that is is here. So it's a great place to have our office because yeah. you're reminded of what hockey is about every every day, well and it's uh, and it's wonderful. And and the Leafs practice here, and the Marlies practice here, and there's kids tournaments all the time. So. You get that reminder of of the fun that kids have on the ice when you see them out there practicing and you see the parents exactly. So it's a cliche, but it does. But but it's it's a great reminder. Now I I have to admit I never thought I'd say 
my office was in a hockey rink. <laughs> uh, but because you, because you're not like uh, a jock, right? Well, like, once upon a time, you, you, I, you, like I no, was. Yeah. I retired. Okay. I will say re- retired. Yes. Yeah. Once upon a time, definitely okay. people thought I was a boy till I was about sixteen. <laughs> Oh, my, till boy. my dad let me get my ears pierced. Should should we so, pull a couch in here and uh, yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah. but but I've been in love with sports and had sports part of my life since I was a little kid. It's funny, so. you know what it is. It's that you're right, and I did know that. Uh, but but it's the way you carry yourself now, and the way you you just just you know you've got this dignity and this class and this thing that that goes against kind of the rough and tumble <laughs> and it's easy to forget that um that uh yeah sports is a big part of your dna right yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you that's uh that's very kind i will thank my mother for that there you go yeah well yes. i've met your dad so yeah you it must my, be your yes, mother yeah. yes my yeah. mom yeah that's true <laughs> my mom told me to stop walking like a football player so i i, I learned and uh, and it serves me well i mean when you think about operating in in sports and not just sports i've been fortunate through experience the agencies to work yeah. on um you know on other properties um besides besides sport yeah. which has which has been great well you're a big part of the general motors business. part of all the general motors activities well when i was listening to your podcast with brenda woods yeah. and talking about tiff and chevrolet or i'm um, sorry cadillac was yeah. a big partner so i was involved with with tiff so um, been able to sort of expand beyond uh, beyond yeah, sports, which is nice. Which and has I agree. been like really in- nice. But regardless, when you think about, um, well, particularly in sports, you know, pretty male dominated environment. Really. So yeah, I I know you wouldn't have <laughs> yeah, thought that, yeah. would you? But you know, being almost six feet tall helps, and yeah, and it's it's important, you know, to look somebody in the eye and be able to yeah. um, operate at you know at a at a boardroom table, yeah. Um, as someone who you know knows the knows the business, and um, you know, gender is not an issue. It's no. just people together doing you know doing their work and doing yeah. their business. And it's but really, it is it's you're nice. right. You know, a couple thoughts like two uh, two things. One is I'm a father of as you know two daughters. They're 20 and 18, and both. It's funny because Stacy harped on this more my wife um, more than I did but I get it now um, they're both I don't know where they get it but they they're both tall mm-hmm. uh, so Stacy has some explaining to do because uh, for years I was told <laughs> the girls I was six two and they believed me until recently mm-hmm. um, so but they're both tall and um, and you you see mm-hmm. how that is you know it's it, it, it helps it helps I, I have to say it does it does help it's, yeah uh, it's weird to even say that and then the second thought is a quick rabbit hole because it's topical <laughs> um, I um, I put out a post on LinkedIn the other day because I was watching the Raptors I'm a big Raptor fan and um, wealth simple had an ad mm-hmm. and it's a new campaign called invest in change have you seen it I have not seen okay. it. Okay, so you I'd must be see looking it. That up. Invest in change, and so what it is, it's it it shows a young girl and a young boy who are both basketball players, um, and talking about uh, their current and their future um, um, achievements hmm. in basketball, and right. how she, the girls always a step above the boy. He's going to be good, but he's going to be kind of just one of. You know, many right. good. She's going to be the best. Going 
go number one overall. Right. And then the final punchline is, and he says, in my rookie contract will be $4 million. And she says, in my rookie contract will be $40,000. And, and then it's, it's a WNBA uh, star, and her name's escaping me, who says, mm-hmm. well, Simple's working with her to, um, to challenge the gender pay gap in sports. So I put out a post on it because um, I just thought, A, it was a really well-produced ad, mm-hmm. and it's an important message, and I'm very sensitive to that as a father of daughters. Uh, and Taylor was a competitive basketball player. She's 18. She doesn't play it anymore. It's a shame, but she, she was, like when she was 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And she's a rabid WNBA fan, tell, knows all the players. Good for her. And, um, and so comments ensued on the post, right. and and one of the narratives was um, was and it's also on the YouTube comments is that oh you know WNBA there's nobody watches it and the ratings and the attendance relative relative to NBA and I I get all that there's certain economic principles at play here right yes. TV rights deals yes. that that translate to salaries. Uh, I understand all that, but my point with this, and I see this campaign as as having this point, is it's it's encouraging a dialogue, and every movement has to start somewhere. And why do we just have to sit back and say that's the way it is? Well, it's so interesting that you say that. Yeah. Ta- I'll time- put my soapbox. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a good soapbox to be in. Yeah. Uh, Beyond. No, just timely. Um, I was in London a couple of weeks ago. Um, Little little vacation, nice. uh, but there is a uh, there was a sport business conference, a leader sport business conference, and I was able to attend the conference yeah. and be part of a session that was specifically about women in sports, and they had uh, it was a small group of about forty people, men and women. There were properties, there were rights holders, or there were rights holders or properties. There were brands, and there was media and other stakeholders, and the topic of the day. There were the group came up with the topics and. Um, we were talking about the growth of women's sports, the popularity. Nielsen had just come out with a big report talking about how much interest there was in women's sports now. Um, and then the topic of you know, using the men, men's sports to generate awareness and was it helping or hindering women's sports? Women's sports doesn't need to stand on its own. Right. So you're taking advantage of the big audiences, but is that presenting the women's sports as not as good as. Yeah. And you can see it in the Premier League where the there's a women's Premier League now. All mm. of the Premier League teams have, have women's teams. They used to call them ladies' teams. So it would be the, the Liverpool ladies. <laughs> and now... Uh, many and I don't know how it's a little all too of them civilized. have right, but now they've changed it, and now we were actually at Stamford Bridge, which is where Chelsea plays, mm. um, and they were talking about how they had changed the branding from uh, Chelsea Ladies to Chelsea FCW. Okay. And so it they have Chelsea FC and Chelsea FCW, and yeah. because. The ladies made it sound like an inferior product, well, and it's, it's not. But it's, what's interesting about that is why, you know, again, I get it, but why isn't it Chelsea FCM, right? right? And right, like it exactly. just, it, by nature of just right, giving right. it the W, it's like, 
it, I wonder if they could just have a name yeah. and not have a W at yeah. the end, yeah. right? And but absolutely, and that may happen in time. So I thought right, this was time. a positive evolution to what's That's happening. It. And so some of the campaigns, they were profiling some of the campaigns. More, this was a more Eurocentric conference yeah. uh, because it was in London. But uh, really topical, really interesting, and we're seeing that with the CWHL here yeah. in Canada now, yeah. Yeah. right? And um, in fact, right now, put in a, a, a plug yes. for our, our uh, national women's team, and they're actually in Saskatoon right now playing in the Four Nations Cup, and um, we, um, you know, the U.S. are there as well. Yeah. And if you look at one of the points I was able to make proudly at the conference was that um, when you look at the viewership from the 2018 Winter uh, Olympics from Pyeongchang, uh -huh. right, the number one most watched moment uh, in Canada was the gold medal with um, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer. Nobody will debate that. But yeah. the number two most watched moment was the overtime of the women's gold medal hockey game yeah. at two in the morning Eastern. Yeah. Now the gold medal skate was at 11 p.m. So the number two moment uh, of all of those incredible athletic accomplishments yeah, yeah. Uh, in the in was the, 20 was the women's, was the women's hockey game and yeah. it just shows you the caliber the quality yeah. the the emotion that's there and it's it's growing it's wonderful I'm delighted that hockey is part of is leading yeah. the charge in, in Canada in terms of promotion of, of women in, in sports and that leads to you know, women in business, when you look at the leadership of the CWHL and how that's being led by former players or women broadcasters like Cassie Campbell uh -huh. and Tessa Banam. So they're coming out of, uh, of hockey, they're coming out as you know, professional caliber, world-class caliber athletes, uh -huh. and they're able to take what they learn through their athletic experience, through hockey. Because those pathways haven't always been no, they ready have, they, and they available. That's right. right. They're, they've been there for, a, I'm going to say, a select group of men. Yes. They've have always been there at color commentators. Yes. That's where they come from, and team executives, etc. Yeah. They come from within the sport, and now we can say the same thing about, about women, um, which is, uh, which is a, something we can be really proud of. That's great. That was a very worthwhile rabbit hole to go down. It's a, just a great, um, very important topic, as I say, very near and dear to me as father of daughters. So, mm -hmm. um, so why don't tell the listeners, um, you know, your how you got in. I know your first, I think your first gig was with uh, Molestar, wasn't it? Sports and Entertainment? Or was it something? my real first gig in sports. Well, it was a real first one. Okay. My real first gig, paying gig in sports was with a Continental Basketball Association team called the Toronto Tornadoes. Oh my. They, I won't tell you it was 1980 something. <laughs> and they were playing out of Varsity Arena. Yeah, stop, you're dating yourself. I am, uh, but yeah. out of Varsity Arena before there was heat in the building. Uh, the team was owned by a fellow named Ted Stepien, who yeah. owned the Cleveland Cavaliers until they threw wow. him out of the NBA because he was such a bad owner. <laughs> so they allowed him to buy a CBA team and he yeah. brought it here. And my first paying job, a friend of mine was a trainer with the team. And in those days, the teams needed to have a typed transcript of the games <laughs> in case there were any disputes on scoring or, or fouls or things like that. So every team needed to have, okay, now I am dating myself again, a typist. I'm because just giving you some rope here. I know, yeah. I know you are. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. so there were no, no, there were no laptops. There yeah. were typewriters. <laughs> And every team had to have a typewriter and someone to call the game. So that. think about timing, scoring table at a professional basketball game, timers, 
scorekeeper, guy who runs the clock, um, the real radio guys, and then a woman who was the typist, and then me. And my job was to call the game just like the radio guys did without all of the embellishments. Wow. But I called the games for the Toronto Tornadoes as this woman typed about 80 words a minute on a, on a typewriter. Amazing. And Did you have a title? Did they call you something? No, do you know what? I can't remember, yeah, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. But, uh, but that but was my... But you were the original play-by-play. I was the, play I was the yeah. original, that, absolutely, yeah. for the Tornadoes. And I got to know the general manager of the team. And, as this, and I, that was a part-time than a working games. I had a, a day job. And, um, Very cool. you know, and then coming out of that, getting to know the general manager, you know, I asked him about opportunities with the team, and he said, well, how would you like to be our promotions manager? And I said, sure, that sounds great, not having really knowing what that mm -hmm. was. But I knew enough because I loved sports. I watched it all. I've been to lots of games. So, um, so I became what they called the promotions manager, but it was really kind of jack-of-all-trades. Mm -hmm. um, but it was I built the sponsorship packages. I learned it in by watching I worked with the, with the University of Toronto men's team and mm. so I knew a little bit about sponsorship from that and I looked quite honestly I looked at what the Blue Jays were doing they hadn't been around that long and yeah. they were doing things that that um, the Argos or the Leafs hadn't done when it came to fan engagement they had game day sponsors they did you know premiums at the door the the shoppers drug mart poster team poster at the beginning of the season and Brooks did Tukes and um, Mr. Uh, Sub did uh, little carry bags. Mm -hmm. So I looked at all the sponsors and partners for the Blue Jays. I got out the yellow pages and I called them up. And in those days people answered their phones. Mm -hmm. You could ask the receptionist who the director of marketing was. They would connect you yeah. and you would have a conversation. And that's literally how I got started. Totally by, by coincidence, and my personal passion and hobby became a career. That's a great story. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's funny what you say about baseball. I've um, I've done this before. When I was looking for um, cool activation ideas yes. and promotional ideas, yes. I scoured uh, minor, minor league, league. <laughs> baseball and. Yes. They, yes. the Mud Hens, the Toledo yes. Mud Hens, and the Durham Bulls, and all that, and they're they're famous for having to do crazy stunts to get people to, to bums and seats. Absolutely, I remember one of them Absolutely. was uh, they they had a local jeweler, and they buried a diamond ring in the infield, and had fans wow. come out after the game and dig up the infield. <laughs> I'm going to assume that was an end of season promotion yeah, exactly. when they were preparing the field the, for, for the winter. <laughs> the grounds crew must have loved that. Yeah, wow. so so I, yeah. I love that. It's a great yeah. lesson, right? Uh, That's right? Often the best ideas are are hardly new. That's you right. Weren't you the one who told me the R&D term? I, I probably was, yes. Yeah, the R&D, rip off and duplicate. Rip off and duplicate. And I use it's, that still, right? It's a high form of praise, quite honestly. Yeah. You look at what others are doing. You are, you know, you need to, you need to expand your mind. It's hard to be singularly creative. Now, there are people that are like that, and I admire them greatly, but that's not me. My, my best ideas come from watching what other people are doing, adapting, 
putting a fresh spin on it, taking something you might have seen executed one way with a certain brand in a certain category, spinning it around and doing it a different way in a fresh way, um, and then adding your own thinking to it. And that's yeah. where great ideas come from, I think. I agree, I agree. Um, talk about, so, so, so we talked about 30 um, you know, plus <laughs> years in the business. I, we don't, let's not worry about the entire journey because no, we'll, no, we'll, no. we'll be here. One of my goals with no, this no. Uh, podcast was to keep them relatively tight. Um, but um, as I said off the top, you've, had a, you've been able to touch all the facets and just maybe talk about that dynamic of that you know, agency, brand, and, uh, and property. And was mm -hmm. that, what, did you happen to fall into that? Was that a, a plan, you know, sometimes? I, I, things... wish, I wish I could tell you I had a plan. I, I describe my career, I describe my career as a leaf on a river and I go where the river takes me. Oh, I've that's beautiful. been wow. very fortunate that I have met some wonderful people along the way who have tapped me on the shoulder and created great opportunities. We'll so I have, you know, I've, that has, has helped me tr tremendously. Um, but I, I didn't have an exact plan. My, you know, I got started because I had a friend who worked for a professional basketball team. So um, I, I learned by, by doing. And um, I got into, after the basketball team, I went to IMG. So that's where I got the first understanding of, of one type of agency environment, because there's multiple kinds of agencies as well. Um, so I got a little bit of agency experience there, and then I went to property side, and I stayed on property side for, for 11 years, a long yeah. time. I love the property side, although I loved being in the agency uh, as well. Um, but the property side was kind of where I started my well, first really big, why, serious job. Why do you, what did you love about property side that you didn't get agency side? Um, I call agency monkey in the middle. Because when you're the property side, you have some control over your environment. You're in a negotiation. You can make a decision that can get a deal closed or you can make a decision that maybe it's not the right deal for you as a property. And we've, you know, I've done some that I'm not proud of at the end of the day because I knew at the time they probably weren't going to work. But for various reasons, you still do the deal. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the, prop, the property has some control over yeah. your, your future. When you're on the brand side, you also have control. You are the buyer. Yeah. And as the buyer, you have control. How much do you want to pay? What assets do you want? And you negotiate and you can decide, again, whether you're going to go in or whether you're going to walk away. The agency is a bit of monkey in the middle. Yeah. Because you can't, you, you can put together the best sponsorship strategy ever and have a great tactical plan to go with it and you can present you work, it to your you clients, work weeks on you it. work yeah. weeks on it, you research it, you know it's the right thing to do, and yet, for some reason, there's yeah. many reasons, your client will say, I'm really sorry, we can't do that, yeah. or we can only do a portion of it, when you know you really yeah. need to do more to really make it sing. Yeah. So, 
You don't have control over what you do. And then you're yeah. negotiating it's a bit on of behalf. A helpless, uh, little feeling bit. sometimes. A little bit. Right? Now, yeah. it, within the agency world, though, you get tremendous creative latitude. Yeah. That's where the, where the collaboration between client and property and agency really works. And the agency can be the driver of some of those way out crazy ideas. The agency's mm-hmm. role, um, as people that are listening that are on the client side will think, yeah, sometimes my agency drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. They bring me these wild ideas that are are huge and wonderful that we can't make happen. Yeah. But what it does is it pushes you out of your comfort zone yeah. and gets you thinking about maybe doing more than you would have if the agency had presented a totally safe plan. So that's the agency, that's the fun part of the agency, that's mm-hmm. the opportunity, but it can also be a little bit frustrating when you've put your heart and soul in it and it, and it can't happen. Um, but, I, I you know. worked uh, agency side early in my career as well, and um, and like you have had a chance to hit all, all those different areas. And what I did find with the agency side is um, it's a great training ground. It's a great, um, you're right, very creative, but uh, they, they tend to develop. Uh, they've got great professional development mm-hmm. programs. Um, it's a great place to learn and grow, but I did. I agree. You're. You're. I always called it. Uh, you're a bit of a jack of all trades, but yes. master of none. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah, def- so, so you hit on a transition there. Um, you, you've had a lot of great people along the way tap you and give you opportunity. Talk about your views on mentorship generally, mm-hmm. and then maybe you can talk about some a mentor or two. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think. I think mentorship is really important. I think that in the past, at least with me, it happened organically. It wasn't something that I was able to actually actively go out and look for because at the time, the industry was still relatively new and you learned from the people that you worked with, um, but there wasn't a structure. There was no uh, sponsorship marketing council, for example. There was no uh, industry association that you could really tap into, so you learned through the people that you worked with, and they became your mentors and some became your friends. Um, But I think it's really important, and I've been part of the SMCC mentorship program, now this is my third year in the program, and I think it's it's terrific. I learn um, as much, I hope, as the, uh, my mentees have, have learned. I really enjoy talking with them. I see the industry from their perspective. I hear what their challenges are, and I try to share some of my experience that might help them. I always tell them, you know, everybody's going to make mistakes as you go along the way. I'll tell you about mine so that you don't make them. Go and make your own. Yeah, go figure great. out your own mistakes and, and learn that way. And so Because you're going to make some. You're going to make yeah. some. We yeah. all, we all yeah. do. Um, but the, well, so, I, I haven't yet, oh, uh, but, but there's, there's a couple of yes. rare exceptions yes. out there. But, yes, yeah. but I do think, yeah. that, I do think mm-hmm. that mentorship is, is important. And now, again, as the Canadian sponsorship industry has grown on all, on all sides, there's just a, a wealth of people out there who have, have now 20, 30 years experience that can now start to, sh- to share that. Yeah. And and I think that's really really valuable not to continue to do things the same way, but to learn from the successes, to learn from the fails, mm. and to keep evolving and growing and doing new and different things. I don't think you can ignore the past. I think you need to hey, learn, learn from, from it. it. Exactly. Absolutely. So that 
generational exchange of, of ideas keeps those of us who have been around a long time fresh and yeah. interested and engaged. And I think it really can help um, young people. And it, it also, quite honestly, is a great you know, networking opportunity as you look to advance your career and meeting people in different sides of the industry because it is multifaceted and uh, you never really know where you are going to wind up. You, you may have a really clear picture of what you want to do, but I've met a lot of people who really don't. I, I want to be in sports. That's, that's what they said. I yeah. want to be in sports. And the next question is, well, what side of sports? What do you mean? And yeah. so you have those kind of conversations and, and tease them, that yeah. out. And yeah. help them tease it out. And, the same. Yeah, and encourage right. them to try different things. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, that's I often a big part of the discussion is, is explain to them what the different roles in yeah. the world of sports right. or agency or brands. Well, I have, I have a great example for you, for someone that you know, Devin Guest, yeah. who worked with us at the Canadian Football League. So Devin came in as an, as an intern with me, as a, a seasonal intern for the 2002 Grey Cup that we were doing in Edmonton. And we were working with Lotta 649. We had this huge halftime promotion, giving away $6.49 million mm -hmm. live on air during the broadcast. And we all learned how the complexities of having a live lottery draw outdoors in the wintertime mm -hmm. in Edmonton. Um, on top of all of the normal over-the-top activations and activities that happened. So Is that Shania? That was Shania. That was yeah. Shania's coming out party after four years of, yeah. of, uh, of uh, being um, sort of a little bit of a recluse. And that was her big coming out party. And she fortunately, she did it with us at Grey Cup in Edmonton. That's awesome. So Devin, working for me, working with all of our partners, all the, the servicing aspects of, of, uh, of a, uh, a uh, Grey Cup, working internally with all of our different departments. So she worked with the marketing department. She worked with the operations department. And she was the day-to-day -day on a lot of client one-to-one -one relationships. And at the end of the, her term, when she was going back to school with Brock, we had a great conversation. She said, this was a fantastic experience. I learned a ton. You know, I love this event business, sports business. I want to stay in it. But I learned one thing, and that is I don't want to work with sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> she said she loved the operational side uh, of the business. Why does that not surprise there. me about Devin? Yeah, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But she loved the operation. She loved bringing things to life and working on the halftime show and making things happen. But she preferred not to have to work with partners and yeah. all the little things that you need to do. But it was a key insight for her. And Absolutely. then a few months later, when she finished school and when the CFL was looking for a coordinator for our events team, yeah. I said, we've got the right person. We hired Devin. She went on to, I'm going to say, five years or more with yeah. the league itself. And then she moved BC. to BC and became the director of operations with the BC Lions. Love and it. so she got into it in one stream, great story. learned about what she liked to do, but also learned what she didn't like to do, which was equally Very valuable, yeah. equally valuable. Great and then off she went to uh, success in, uh, in other areas. So. Awesome. Um, so um, I'm sure you served as one of, uh, I've got to believe she would call you, uh, you know, some degree of a mentor. Um, uh, but talk, who, who, who helped you along the way? Who stands out? Who stands out? I've been really fortunate. There's three people, actually, who really helped me at different phases. And my first was, was um, a woman named Shannon Schaefer, hmm. who was the director of sponsorship or director of sales at the Molson Indy when I started it was um, when I started there. 
Um, and she, uh, we were a very small team. There were three of us and we did, she did sales and we did all the servicing. And so I was able to get my fingers in a lot of pies, try a lot of different things. And her training was from Xerox. She was a mm. really great seller. Mm. So I learned from her. I learned the service side from her. I learned how to take care of people on the service side of the business. I learned how to work with different departments within the company. So she was wonderful. We worked together for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and she helped me. She promoted me along. She pushed me way out of my comfort zone at times, made me do Important. things that, quite frankly, I really didn't want to do. Yeah, at the time, you probably weren't oh. thrilled with some of those uh, absolutely. things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Public, public speaking, speaking at a sponsor conference used to shake. <laughs> I was so nervous. But she made me do it. And I got over that. And I developed a certain comfort level with it. Yeah. So she really helped me. So she was one. The next was Brent Scrimshaw, who you know yeah, well, yeah. who was, uh, Brent and I had worked together at, at on the uh, Molson Indy when he was at Molson. And then when you and I were at the CFL, he was our CMO. And he was a big idea guy, yeah. right? Big ideas. He was a, how do we make that happen? As opposed to, no, we can't do that. That to me is I one of that. his greatest strengths yeah. is he's a, a change agent. Yeah. He comes in, he shakes things up, he's got big ideas, sometimes he doesn't know how he's going to make it happen, yeah. he just knows he will. And he pulls you along with him and he's a great personality and he was tremendously supportive of me again and pushing me out of my comfort zone, making me do things that I wasn't too sure about, but he knew I could do them. I just didn't know that myself and mm -hmm. he really helped me. So Brent was another. And then lastly is Dan Thompson. Yeah. yeah. And Dan and I are talking. I, 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 I got two of the three. I wouldn't have known. <laughs> you wouldn't have known yeah, Shannon. Shannon, but no. uh, I knew you'd talk about, about Brent Dan. and well, Dan. Over, when I talk about people tapping me on the shoulder, I have made career changes four times over my career because Dan has said, I'd like you to come and work with me on something. Mm. And we get on really well. He's smart. He's patient. He's strategic, he's a good thinker, he's unflappable. And um, so we're, we're a good pair, our skills complement each other. Yeah. And, um, you know, and he's, he's never steered me wrong in terms of opportunities and again, pushing me where I didn't really, you know, didn't really know if I had the stuff for, for a position. Where did you work with Dan Lang? So I started Lang? at Lang. He brought yeah. me. He brought me into Lang, and then he left and went to McLaren. I went to McLaren with him uh, as an account director. That's right. You had two stints. At I McLaren. had two stints yeah. at McLaren, right? So I went with Dan as an account director, and I was there for about a year, and it was okay. I found it a pretty challenging environment at the time, and then I got tapped on the shoulder to join the CFL when Mike Lisko became the commissioner. Right. And so. I couldn't say no to the CFL and the Grey Cup, having grown up with it, and and I just thought it was a wonderful opportunity. So I went to the CFL, and Dan and I always kept in touch, and we're good friends. And then uh, in 2005, he said, I'd like you to come back to the agency. And I said, well, you know, I'm not sure why I would do that. I love what I'm doing. I'm at there, and he was at McLaren, and they were the agency for General Motors, for all the brands at General Motors. And he told me that they had just become a Vanock partner. Yeah. And we're going to have an Olympic activation for 2006, 8, 10, and 12. Yeah. And he asked me to come and 
run that Olympic program for them. Well, that's a big deal. And that was a big deal. Especially that was with 10 on the With horizon. 10 there, and I did remind him that Olympics would be new for me. I had lots of experience, but limited when it came to Olympics, and he said, come and work with me, we'll do it together. Mm. And it was one of the best decisions that I made. I loved my time at the CFL, but to be able to work on activations, and, and that was a real, um, real learning experience as well, because remember in 2008, the economy did a little dipsy-doodle. Oh, yeah. Automotive was hit hard, and General Motors in the US was going through receivership. General Motors in Canada didn't go through the full receivership process, but yeah. certainly went through massive change, and that's two years before the Olympics when they had a commitment mm -hmm. to have 4,500 vehicles on the ground mm -hmm. during the games. So to be part of the team that worked through that yeah. situation and to work with a company yeah. that didn't drop the ball, that stood behind its commitment, found a way to make that happen, knowing how important the Olympics were going to be I'll never for Canada. That. I'll never forget that. Because I was, was on the incredible. other, I was, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, and you know this uh, for the listeners, I was uh, working, um, heading the national sales team for the Olympic Consortium. We had the media rights for the 2010 Olympics. And so our job was to go to all the Olympic partners and, and give them an opportunity to integrate their brand throughout the coverage. And um, General Motors was one of the most interesting negotiations uh, that I've ever been a part of because we went to them, you're right, in the middle of this uh, receivership um, uh, challenge. The U.S. was bleeding. Um, Canada was facing tremendous cuts, and I'll, I'll never forget the 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 the, the um, what they said to us was, "We've gone, you know, ninety percent of the way there by buying and committing to the Olympic rights. For us to give up exclusivity on media at this point would just uh, would wouldn't make sense. So we're going to do it." but they needed us to be flexible, and we did. We found a common right. ground and made that happen, and it was right. one of the proudest uh, partnerships and negotiations because we, we helped General Motors still be the exclusive advertiser and media partner uh, in the middle of a very trying period for them. Absolutely, and you should feel great about that because I mean, I remember the agency team that you were negotiating with and how complimentary they were. They told me about their experience with, with you and with the consortium and, yeah. uh, and how that deal came together and how vitally important it was to us as the client and agency uh, in, in keeping that Olympic uh, commitment intact yeah. and trying to not compromise on the marketing value that we could derive from it just well because there were budget challenges at the time. So everybody got creative, everybody got flexible, everybody recognized this was a global situation beyond anybody's uh, imagination at the time. And we all rethought things, came up I thought, with a terrific plan and, and a new strategic positioning with the Olympics to make that happen. So Good. it was a really great experience to be part of that. And I, and I owe that to Dan. Yeah, well so, said. There you go. Um, let's pivot to um, programs. Um, I'd love to just get your thoughts on, a, on a, a partnership or sponsorship initiative you've just really been close to and shaping and had your hands on and why it's important to you. Maybe just a little bit of insight into it. Well, I would say 
The one I'm probably most proud of over the time is Pure Later Tackle Hunger. Mm. Um, I, we built... And, and before, before you get into that, <laughs> you know, over the years, it's like the I am Canadian thing. You bump into people who, over the years, as time passes, more and more people have taken credit for that program. Same thing with Pure Later Tackle Hunger, but I happen to be <laughs> sitting with um, a person who truly can... can, can you know, stake claim to that. Uh, it's a wonderful program, uh, and and for all you out there who have taken credit for it, shame on you. So. <laughs> Thank you, Gavin. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yes, we we built that with um, with Purelater and their agency at the time, which was the Gem Group, which was previously Lang and now is currently Lang. So it was one of the iterations of Lang. Um, and what was interesting about it was. Um, Purelater came to us and said, we're looking for, a, you know, we're a Canadian company, we're looking, we want to do something that's national, um, and so and we want a property that's uniquely Canadian. And they also said, we have this other association with the Canadian Association of Food Banks. We have this cause, and we don't know what to do with it. And is there any way you can combine uh-huh. that cause with the CFL and this football platform? So that was the challenge. And uh-huh. This was in the early 2000s. So when you think about it, there's so much talk today about the, um, the integration or creation of a cause overlay within a sport property and what that looks like. And we, we did that almost, early we did that days. like 15 years ago. Yeah. We created one of the first ones and I'm really proud to say that it, the program is still up and running. It's evolved over time, full marks to later I have not been involved directly with it since 2005 and it's still alive and well and fresh um, they've helped thousands of people through the good works that they've done they've carved out a niche for themselves it was right on brand it was fantastic also because it combined sport it combined cause there was a broadcast overlay yes. to it which was unique because pure later was not a television advertiser at all at the time so it brought them into television. And they also used it with, with three very important audiences. So there was the general public. They wanted to elevate their profile, reinforce their Canadian positioning. So integration into the broadcast gave them a massive national audience. And also we integrated all of the CFL teams at the same time in the one deal. Uh-huh. So they were comprehensive on the ground in those communities. So it gave them visibility that way. But they also used it for some business-to-business development, and they also used it in a very significant way for employee engagement. Yeah, and I think they so were important. very, very forward-thinking in at the time to say whatever we do from a sponsorship perspective, we need to think of our employees as one of the audiences we need lines. to engage. Exactly. And I think a lot of times, quite honestly, brands underestimate the value yeah, that properties can deliver in terms of employee engagement and creating um, the team spirit and momentum and a cause and a focus, uh, something for employees to be part of. And 100%. I think that Purelator did a fantastic job with that when, they, when we built this program. Mm. So for me, I am happy to say it is in the, the um, Hall of Fame with the Sponsorship Marketing yes. Council. It's won Best in Show and some golds and things. So nice. I'm, I'm very proud of it. And, and give a and shout out. So some of the clients you would have worked with a pure later on that. Uh, um, Andrew Bryson. Yes. And um, John, 
Oh, Cooper. You, thank you so much. Yes. yes. And John Cooper. Those yeah. They were the two real drivers behind yeah. it. And then Tim Maloney. Yes. Came yeah. on board. And then Brian Collins yeah. came and on board. And Brian's at, that's right. And Brian's at Molson now. And Tim is the athletic director out at um, Dalhousie. Yeah. So Great people. They're yeah. wonderful people. We all still see to see each yeah. other. It's a very small you nice. know, sponsorship world. But, nice. um, but we all had a hand in building it, developing it. And I also should give a shout out to Mike Gownlock and Ian Cook, at, who were Jam Group yeah. slash Lang, who were on the agency side and really helped to bring it to life as well. Sure. So really collaborative, sort of the three pillars all working together. And it just shows you what, what can happen when you've got a, a client that's committed to getting the most out of the partnership. Yeah, well said. That's a great example. And as you say, corporate social responsibility has become such a thing now. But right. that was early days, right. and uh, uh, and and it's been fun to watch. As especially as there's been complete turnover at the ranks, pure later they've continued yes. to embrace that program and 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 keep it going, right? Yeah, absolutely. And some of the neat in-game activations, like uh, the, the pure later delivery of the game ball, and then the sack tally every time right. somebody was sacked. You know, it would be a donation in the weight of uh, the, the, the quarterback in food. It was right. just a very clever integration. Um, talk about a program. There's so many great other programs yeah. out there, and I always like to get perspectives on something maybe you've just admired from a distance and what, sure. what stands out and why. Sure. Well, I, I, you know, I don't think it'll surprise anybody to say that what Scotiabank has done is pretty impressive over the years, watching them grow from the initial Scotiabank Hockey Club and working with the NHL teams and starting that that well, sort of sponsorship strategy over 10 years ago and where they are now, seeing how they've evolved it, how they've added layers from high performance to grassroots to cause, again, really well um, integrated. Um, of course, the recent deal changed the face of sponsorship globally. Um, one of the uh -huh. speakers at the conference that I mentioned earlier in London was John Doig, the CMO uh -huh. from Scotiabank, who was on a panel with the head of marketing for um, Etihad Airlines, talking about naming rights and the difference between why Etihad was the has their name on stadiums and why Scotiabank has their name on arenas here. So it was very interesting. Wow. So seeing that, the how robust it is, and also seeing how Scotiabank has taken that, um, the how they have embraced sponsorship as a really important uh, brand building and marketing tool and use it on a global basis. Uh -huh. So they've gone outside Canada, they've gone to Latin America and um, really have taken the Canadian model and used that model of grow from the ground up, grassroots up, um, outside of Canada and also doing um, incredible things for their, for their brand in other markets. So um, you know, when you look at Canadian companies that are doing big things, and yeah. impressive things um, it's wonderful and then you've got small you know smaller activations that are are really wonderful so it's oh. not always I don't think we should get caught up in in big yeah. I think we we need to get caught up in smart 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 and strategic that's those are the ones that ring the bell for me yeah and you could be smart and strategic whether you're on a national global scale or on a local community scale. 100% and you're right they've done a great job of that and yeah. I find you know they got involved with the CFL when 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 right. uh, we were there and that's right and uh, I remember it was so important for them to connect 
with properties that were important in the communities where their branches were. And um, they pivoted from football to hockey when the opportunity presented itself because nothing uh, is, is more embedded in our communities in this country than hockey. But yeah, it, it has been interesting to watch Scotiabank get into you know, FC uh, Barcelona and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Latin America. CONCACAF. CONCACAF, yeah. The wonderful thing is they've taken their learning from Canada and applied it because I think as Canadians, I know when I go to conferences and, and things, you kind of go in, you know, we're Canadian, we're a little bit, try to be a little bit humble. And I always go in expecting to be blown away by countries with bigger countries and more dollars. And, and I look at what we do and it's incredible. You know, we are, we go toe to toe with the, with the best properties and the best brands in the world. And uh, it's very, um, you know, you feel, can feel really proud about coming from here. Good, good. Um, let's um, pivot uh, before we, we wrap. Um, any trends? You and I sat together at uh, the, the unveiling of the latest Canadian Sponsorship Landscape mm-hmm. Study. And um, what, are you, what are you seeing out there in terms of that sponsor property, you know, what sponsors are looking for, what properties are doing in terms of sponsorship marketing? Uh, a trend or two that has stood, stood out to you or emerged? Um, well, there's so much more choice out there now. Um, I think that we've really got to um, be, you know, you've got to be creative. I think the buzzword on everybody's, you know, everybody's lips, we talk about branded content. We talk about the growth of digital and social media and how important it is. And, and it is. Uh, I'm not sure that properties have cracked the code yet, some better than others. Um, it's complicated, um, you know, property or brands want to go behind the scenes, they want that kind of access and it's a challenge for properties to deliver that. So I think there's a lot of thinking that needs to be done on the property side. We need to, you know, we need to um, really understand what uh, the client side is looking for. And we need to be a bit more flexible than we've been. We need to be open-minded and creative. We need to be persuasive internally to get the investment that we need to open up some of those opportunities because some of them do come at a cost. Um, but there's a long-term benefit. So um, for me, that's that's key. The, the interesting thing in that study that continues is you know the gap between client's perception of good service and a property's perception of good service. So I think there's room on the property side. I put my property hat on. We've got to be smarter and close that gap. Um, I call that the the property sponsor disconnect. Yes. It's, uh, I talk about that in the sales training workshops I do. Mm-hmm. Is that that the properties um, generally have have revenue um, at the core of their their objectives, whereas the sponsor has looks for great service and activations and content yeah. and. Yeah. all that so you've got to yeah. you've got to the properties need to be thinking about those things well, depending on what kind of property it is you know when I when we talk about NSO's national sport organizations not-for-profits like Hockey Canada they're built from the sport up they are sport organizations first, first marketing organizations second and it's incumbent on them that's one of the things I found as a great opportunity here at Hockey Canada was I don't come from the ice mm. um, we are experts in creating hockey experiences. We, my contribution to the organization is to think outside of that, is to think like yeah. a client, think like an agency, and I facilitate and I translate. I help 
both sides understand each other, what pushing internally to push some of our, our senior leaders out of their comfort zone to try new things and do new things, create new opportunities, and helping clients understand what some of the limitations are, reasonable limitations yeah. of what a property can deliver. So that's one of the, the interesting things about, about my role, and I think one of the things that I, um, I learned by being able to sit in all three seats at varying times over my career yeah. is each of those three groups has a different perspective of the the same situation yeah. and so by helping each side understand the other's perspective um, you know hopefully we come up with something that's going to be a really great solution for everybody awesome um, let's wrap and you know what I, I must apologize because I promised you probably like half of the time no, no, but, but we've but we've you know I I, I, I knew a, we couldn't get away with not having, <laughs> going down a few tangents. So well, I was—I told you I was a little bit nervous when we started, yeah. but this has been a lovely experience. Good, good. Um, let's wrap with. Um, I just like to understand what habits people who've had success in their career draw on. What 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 are their the things they do to help them be successful? You know, in their careers or mm -hmm. daily. Um, just just yeah. curious. We'll talk well, talk about I that. Well, I think. I think. Um, you know, networking is an overused term sometimes, but I think the people side of the equation is most important. I got asked once if you could go back and change something about how you did something or approached your career, what would be the one thing you would change? And to me, it, I said it would be people awareness. It would be, you know, getting to know people a little bit better, um, staying in touch a little bit better. It's a whole lot easier now than it used to be, so there's no excuses any, any longer, but to me, that is really key. Number one, people to learn from. Number two, you never know as you move from opportunity to opportunity where those connections are going to be helpful either to you or where you can actually help somebody else. Yeah. So to me, in terms of habits, I would say that that people equation are good. And there are some people that are just intuitively, naturally, I mean, yeah. You, you know that are really great at it they tend to be the sellers yeah. at the end of the day it yeah. tends to be the sellers but I would say that that um, that um, it doesn't have to be but right? it doesn't have to be exactly that skill or talent or inclination is equally valuable whether you're in marketing whether you're in operations whether you're in client service whether you're in media you're right. to me that would be of, uh, in terms of habits that are going to serve you well your whole career. Yeah, it's learned to me, behavior, that's it. That. that can be a learned behavior. It can behavior. be a learned it's behavior. It's something it's, maybe right. you're born with. Exactly. In exactly. your DNA, yep. but, but, uh, yep. but you, can, uh, you can work on that. Exactly. And it took me, I'm a very yeah. heads down, get the job done kind of person when I started, and I've learned a lot over time to kind of lift my head up sometimes yeah. and, and, uh, and have you. a look around. So I'd yeah. say that would be a really... Um, Important. You know, maybe a, a little bit of advice that might help somebody. Yeah, and then, well, that was it. And that's the, the last question, but that's part of it, right? As somebody who's looking to get in to the field, um, mm -hmm. because I, I know that some of the listeners are, you know, I'm, I'm doing some mentorship for students at Schulich and at the George Brown program, and yep. they've all been very curious about the podcast and yes. said, oh, I, I want to listen to, it's, it's going to be like a master class. They said, listening to all these <laughs> great guests you're going to have. And so things like networking and getting yourself yep. out there is, is great advice. Um, anything else you want to layer on there before I let you go? Well, I would say it's important to um, you know, volunteer where, where you can get some, ex get some experience, try different things, 
and see where you know where your personal interest lies because that well the Devon guest the experience. Devon guest experience yeah. exactly exactly because that should be an attraction at some theme park <laughs> a Devon guest experience that's right yeah that's good I think the um, you know the the you never know you know it it, it might be an opportunity that's not perfect but it might turn into something that's that's uh, works really well for you and you know look for something that you're really excited to, to do that would be the other thing because you're going to be better at it mm -hmm. if it's something that you're that's where I can say you know personally I'm so fortunate because I've never said I've had a job ever in my life I've, I have made lifestyle that's choices rare. lifestyle choices because you do work hard you give up nights or weekends or you travel or you're away from home for t at certain times mm -hmm. but you do it because you love what you do and so it's not a job it's just what you do yeah. and that's wonderful and as I you know, started at the beginning I know I'm really fortunate to have had great experiences met wonderful people mm -hmm. along the way worked really hard along the way too but it mm -hmm. all you know it all goes hand in hand so I'd say try new things mm -hmm. you know don't be shy about asking for opportunities volunteer hockey's built on volunteers we know that yeah. so yeah Great uh, that that helps um, because you never you never know good stuff uh, what's next so um, you've got the world juniors around the corner right right around the corner December 26th yeah. the puck drops in Vancouver and Victoria so, so we're sitting here on November yeah don't remind me no. we're real close Eight, we're, nine, we're real we're close right. we're really excited yeah. about it Victoria is over 96% sold out Vancouver is over 90% sold Congrats. out so That's awesome. uh, the venues are going to be packed the town is Buzzing. We've got a 10-game pre-competition tour throughout the Lower Mainland and, and BC, and wow. Team Canada is going to play two pre-competition games in Victoria before they settle into Vancouver for the tournament. So we're really excited. Camp will start middle of uh, December. So um, and you can check it out on TSN. They flipped the switch to World Juniors on on. Uh, Great Cup Sunday, so it's wonderful. Nice. We got a great month of football coming up, and then we, we flip the switch on to hockey for uh, for for December. So, awesome. um, wow. yeah, so we have our hands full, but it's really exciting time for us. Well, in the middle of all that busyness, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. You know, you think you know people, and then you do these uh, chats, and <laughs> and you find out so many interesting things, but. Just more your generosity and your time oh, uh, you. to sit with me. So thanks for doing this. My pleasure. All thanks, right. Gavin. So, uh, folks, thanks for listening uh, to the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing Series. Uh, my chat with Dana Gladstone of Hockey Canada. Uh, for more, visit my website, uh, rothrevenue.com. Uh, and you'll also find the podcast on SoundCloud. Um, and we'll chat with you real soon. Thanks for listening.